Now, more than perhaps ever in our history, we need established facts, a common understanding across generations, and collective action when it comes to climate change and the climate crisis. Today, we are inviting you to be part of the movement, part of the collective consciousness of people taking action. We are talking about the Carbon Almanac, a guide for understanding climate change and making positive, meaningful impacts towards a resilient, sustainable future. The Carbon Almanac is not just a book. It is massive in scope. Its content and messages are critical, and it's already engaging people from around the globe working together with a shared intention before it has even been published. Hello, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, and this is Impact Earth. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest and why it's such an honor to have him with us. Seth Godin is the author of 20 books that have been bestsellers around the world and that have been translated into more than 35 languages. He's also the founder of Alt-MBA and the Akimbo Workshops, online seminars that have transformed the work of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands. He writes about the post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, quitting, leadership, and most of all, changing everything. You might be familiar with some of his books, Lynchpin, Tribes, The Dip, and Purple Cow. His books, This Is Marketing, and one of his latest, latest books, The Practice, were bestsellers pretty much instantly. His newest project is leading a worldwide group of volunteers creating the Carbon Almanac. In addition to his writing and speaking, Seth has founded several companies, including Yoyodyne and Squidoo. And his blog, which you can find by simply typing Seth into Google, is one of the most popular in the world. I read it every single day, and I can safely and enthusiastically say his guidance and his wisdom have helped shape the way I show up in the world each and every day, and I am not alone. Last but not least, his podcast is in the top 1% of all podcasts worldwide. So let's get ready. Seth, you ready to do this? Uh, born ready. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I think that's so true. You were born ready. Perfect answer. So radical transparency on my part. Since I started Mrs. Green's World about 15 years ago, I've had these conversations in my head with you. Um, <laughs> totally. And I'm like... Why the heck isn't Seth taking on climate change? He's such an important and powerful influencer in the business world. We need his voice. And then, bam, the announcement was made that one of my dreams come true. Not taking credit for it, but I did help manifest it. And that is the Carbon Almanac. It's not too late. And it is a powerful tool that's helping us to create change right here, right now. And I know from participating, albeit minimally, that the Carbon Almanac is without question a global community on board and eager to make change. So tell us about the we in this and the genesis of the Carbon Almanac. I think the genesis starts probably in the first email you sent me eight or ten years ago. <laughs> Would that were true? Oh, my gosh. It is true. Oh, my I'm gosh. Not, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> the, the fact that somebody in Arizona just decided to devote her precious time and energy to speaking up when not everyone was speaking up, to working her way through the huge uh, avalanche of data and misinformation and true information and just doing the work reminded me every time we interacted 
that this was a movement. And finally, overdue, 15, 16 years after I wrote my first blog post about climate change, I was a little bit before you, I said, one blog post isn't going to be sufficient, is it? So I decided to go all in. And I did not write this book. I coordinated it, but there's more than 300 co-authors in 40 countries. Now there's 1,900 of us in 90 countries. And the goal is to create systemic change. Carbon footprint is a myth. Plastic recycling is a myth. What we need is systemic change. We don't need everybody to want it to happen. We just need people who are ready to raise their hand and make a difference. So perfect segue for that. It is in some ways a collection of information. It's established truths. It's understanding the truths and the challenges we face. Do you think it's going to help? A lot, of, a lot of the climate conversation is people don't have confidence. They don't have confidence to talk about systemic change when it comes to climate change because maybe sometimes the first step is understanding it. So in order to have that collective consciousness and move the green needle forward, will this help lots? Will this help thousands of people because there's so many parts and something for everyone? What's your greatest wish for that? Well, let's understand how culture changes, first of all, because when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see. Culture always changes the same way, every time. A few people, early adopters, geeks and nerds, get something because it's first, because it's new, because they get pleasure out of being innovators. They then influence a small group of people near them who want to be the early majority, who want to embrace something that's working. And then eventually it reaches the next group, which is a bigger group, call it the majority, the mass market. And finally, eventually without you know, a rush, it reaches the last people, the laggards, the people who still have a 12 flashing on their VCR. <laughs> and, and would have process, the nerve to admit it. <laughs> exactly. And this process always happens the same way. We need to ignore the laggards. We need to ignore the people who get pleasure out of being skeptical. It's not for them. It's not about them. They don't matter. But what we needed to do in this moment was get it out of the nerd category. And the nerd category actually had several kinds of people in it. It had the um, sort of profit-focused environmentalists who think that human beings are a plague, that children are a bad idea, that everything has to be about less. And there was another group of people, the, the technophiles, who think that almost every problem has a technical solution. And those two groups really were doing a lot of hard work at the beginning of turning the Exxon memo from 1982 into some sort of action. The problem is that both of these groups like um, the morass of confusing statistics and they like being able to say to other people, you just don't know enough. And when you say that to other people, they tend to do nothing. Correct. And the way it gets to the next stage is when people can say, it's simple. When people can say, all of us are doing this, when are you going to join in? When people can say, this is understood. So the purpose of the Almanac was to take a very complicated problem, far more complicated than something like gay marriage, and make it understood in the sense that there's a lot going on, but 
it won't take you that long to catch up. And so the almanac is not our opinion. And our motto is, don't take our word for it. You can look it up. Every single page in the almanac is footnoted. We have more than a thousand links on our website pointing to peer-reviewed science that you can look up. And if we make a mistake, we're going to fix it. Um, that's not the issue. The issue is not, is it perfect? The issue is, do you have enough confidence to talk about this? Because that's the only way we're going to take the systemic action that is going to be urgently needed right now. And the thing that I'm totally just like in awe of or enthralled with are the piece is that it's not just a book. It's a living, breathing body of work that will continue to expand and grow. What are some of the other critical components of the living, evolving pieces of the Carmen Almanac? It, it talks about climate change in ways that will, to me, get people interested in their niche and what kind of climate change conversations they want to have. So I want to know... What what else do you want to say about it? Because my intention in doing this podcast is to get the, the thousands and thousands of listeners I have to not just look it up, to sign up, to be a part of it, to help it expand and grow. So what's your, how is it, how is it living and evolving? So the, the, the opportunity for your listeners is to not worry quite so much about composting or whether your car gets 40 or 50 miles per gallon. Right. That the only chance we have is to do the systemic changes we've always done when we wanted to change the earth. So, for example, um, the gardeners in the suburbs of New York where I live prefer to use gas-powered leaf blowers because they're more convenient. And more convenient saves them time, which saves them money, which increases their profit. And none of them are evil people. Right, exactly. Um, but this is a decision they make in the moment. Just as when you go to the supermarket and there's maple syrup, maple syrup in a glass bottle might cost $17 and maple syrup in a plastic bottle costs $15. Which one are you going to buy? Well, what if the difference in price was 50 cents or $5? At some point, most people are going to pick the cheaper one. And in both of those situations, the answer is not, let's get everyone to have self-discipline because human beings are terrible at that. The answer is, let's get the 5% of folks who are willing to care to make it against the law to have a leaf blower and to make it so that the price of a plastic bottle includes the cost to all of us of creating and burning that plastic when it's done. And if we do things like that, leaf blowers are going to disappear and maple syrup is going to come in glass jars. And these sorts of systemic changes compound. And once we put them in place, they will become normal. And it doesn't take very many people. In my town, it took less than 50 people to ban leaf blowers at least eight months of the year. And now the goal is for the rest of the year. Town by town, group by group, we can make these systemic changes happen. And to support that, instead of just looking at a book as a static moment in time, this community is creating stuff. So, for example, um, there's a kids' ebook that's free that is being used by children around the world. There's a certificate that they can uh, print out or email to a friend where they can name a tree after them. There are a daily email that is going to go hopefully 
to a million people at a time. If a million people all respond to an email by reaching out to a company that's using a lot of palm oil, you can bet that that company's going to have a meeting and maybe even the CEO is going to come and they're going to make a new decision based on new information. These are systemic changes. That one coal plant does more damage than 100,000 people working uh, assiduously can remedy just by composting. And the thing that I, it's interesting what has just really gotten to me about it is the kids part because I care so deeply about educators, their lack of resources. And I two things in the past couple of weeks, I went to the University of Arizona to hear PhD candidates present on what their work is. That kind of thing mm-hmm. feeds my soul, gives me hope. So I'm giving out cards to them saying, you really have to connect with the Carbon Almanac because your work is so relevant and you need to be a part of this. You need to contribute. You need to learn, become a part of this community. And then I went to a school in the South Side, of course, that has a beautiful STEM lab that our utility company helped fund, and they can't afford a STEM teacher. So I talked to the principal and I said, I'm, I'm very seriously asking for your focused attention. You know me. It's like, please pay attention mm-hmm. to this. There's a resource for your teachers. So I said, so what are you doing without a STEM teacher? Which is not really a thing, but it is credentials and more you know, um, educated in the science and the technology pieces of that. So to me, the kids piece can be such a global resource when especially in my state, education doesn't seem to matter. I I have thought about getting a bumper sticker for Arizona saying our slogan is eat the children, but I don't know how that's going to work at all. Um, a couple more things, because I think it's important to talk about this. It's a volunteer army of people. I've been on probably 10 calls. They're enthusiastic. They hold themselves accountable. And but there have to be frustrations and unexpected challenges. Have you had many? Well, first, thanks for bringing that part up. I'm not paid. I'm a full time volunteer. Every person on this team right. is a volunteer. It's mind boggling, and they put in hours and hours and hours of hard work, tens of thousands of hours, right. and that's on purpose because I knew if we couldn't fuel a movement, it wasn't worth doing, and. The frustrations have been tiny, almost irrelevant. And the reason is there is a resilience that comes from being in community that's different than what happens if you have a hierarchy. So if someone has something come up in their life and they drift away, someone else just picks it up. It moves forward. And that idea that the, the there is no credit in the book of who wrote what page because no one wrote any right, page. Right. And the feedback loops have all been not you did a bad job or you're funny looking. The feedback is I think I can make this page better. I think I can make this ebook better. And so it's always been in defense of the work. And what has been delighting, surprising, wonderful is all these new things are being built that I had nothing to do with. And, you know, the kid's book was supposed to be, you know, a 12-page brochure, and it's more than 70 pages long. That the Educator's Guide, which is coming out in June uh, this month, is optimized for teachers around the world to teach things. It was something I had never even conceived of, that we're making a short film, 
and there's multiple podcasts in development because people want to do something and they want to do it systemically. And what I am begging the people who listen to this podcast to do is super simple. You already get it. You would not be listening to this podcast if you didn't get it. Okay, now what are you going to do? Well, what you could do is buy 10 copies of this and give them out to people. Because handing this to someone else is a concentrated, focused, permanent way of putting a stake in the ground. That if we all had the same foundational understanding, then systemic action is much more likely to occur. And when you get that, I'm, one of the things I'm obsessed about, and, and my friends just crack up, they roll their eyes. I'm like, okay, you have to get this book, Stolen Focus. That's my latest obsession because it is about how our focus has been stolen. It's an amazing book. It terrifies me because I think it sets the table for autocracy. But this book, Carbon Almanac, is how it helps me survive because my next question for you, and I don't even think it's a fair question, but I have to ask it anyway, this is a gigantic effort to help move the planet forward. And I feel like um, the alligator is in my office all the time, tick, 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 tick. It's getting closer and closer, um, you know, from Peter Pan. Do you think it's too late? Is it too late? Because the name of the book is The Carbon Almanac, It's Not Too Late. And on any given day, I can say doesn't matter what we do. I'm just going to go buy some plastic water bottles, which of course <laughs> I don't. Um, I'm going to eat in a chain restaurant, which I don't. All of those things, you know, you talk about a tipping point for me. It was when I realized almost every single thing that we all do has an impact on climate change. Almost everything, including breathing. So does Seth Godin have a lot of hope? Okay, so there are a couple things to, to work our way through here. The first one is... <laughs> I always do first- that too. No, don't worry. This is great. The first one is this. The planet's going to be fine. Correct. That's not the question. Right. The question is, will we have a culture that we are proud and delighted to live in? And there's no doubt in my mind it will be different 10 years from now than it is now. That if you are looking forward to the good old days, they're not coming back. Um, That doesn't mean we won't end up with something that's better It's just going to be different. And when we look at systems change, that's when it gets really interesting. So I did a podcast a couple weeks ago about killing all the whales. The single best way to kill all the whales was to let people know that whale oil is a really profitable way to be in business and to let consumers know that whale oil can light up their house at night. And those two things led to an entire industry whose only focus was killing all the whales. And the only thing that saved the whales was kerosene because when kerosene came along, it was a better industry than whale oil. So what we have right now is this moment when we are being able to say to people who are focused on profit and convenience, you know what's more profitable and convenient than burning fossil fuels? Solar, wind, renewables. Do you know what's more profitable than coming up with yet another internet site that sells crap? Coming up with systemic changes that make people's lives better. So new systems are getting built really fast that are going to change things. Will the world be calm and just right in 10 years? No way. But do I think that 
the systems are coming online? I do. So I am uh, fearful for the kids who are being born today and optimistic that we have solved complicated problems before and we will find a way to dance with this. But we will not do it by uh, someone like you or I uh, not using plastic water bottles. I personally have stopped flying for business. I haven't been on a plane in two years. Wow. Because I didn't want to be part of that. But I also know that I will make much bigger changes in the world by working on this than I will by personally not getting on an airplane. Agreed. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. So two more questions. One is, from my understanding, this is really a living, breathing, ever-expanding experience for whoever engages in the Carbon Almanac movement. How is it going to grow and continue to expand going forward? That's part of it. People will continue to curate and contribute. So it's not going to be a one-off. This book is great. There's going to be lots of ever-evolving, which to me is a totally new paradigm. It's not just a book. It's a guide for living a, a sustainable life. So in 1992, I started one of the first internet companies. And in 1998, I wrote a book about it. Since then, email marketing has become a $20 billion a year industry. And it has managed to do that without my active participation because systems scale. And this is going to scale. I have no idea how. I have no idea where. I just know that when people touch it, they bring other people in. And that is what this is about. This has always been about bigger than me. And I want this to scale in ways I can't even imagine. I don't need or want to be in charge of it. And I can't predict what happens next. I just know this was needed. And it's the people who are listening to this that are going to make it either work or not work. Because each one of you has more leverage than you know. And only 2, 3, 4, 5% of the population ever gets involved in anything. 5% is enough to completely change the world in any way. And the people who are listening to your podcast that you've worked so hard to earn their benefit of the doubt, they're the people who are the 5% who are going to lean into this and make something happen. I have ultimate faith. <laughs> Trust me, it's like, yeah, it'll keep growing. It'll keep, and you're right, it's word of mouth. It's passionate people getting connected and wanting to take it to the next step. The first glance I had at something like that was Drawdown, Project Drawdown. And I, mm -hmm. I spent time with and interviewed Paul Hawken and yep. went, or I was at a retreat with him. And he said what you said, this is not a book by Paul Hawken. And he went really out of his way to say this is a living, breathing, growing body of work that has been populated by people that are living it. And look what Drawdown has impacted. I mean, it would be immeasurable. I can't even measure when I think about it, how it comes up. So I've been doing a big brain series with a world economist. And I will tell you this, Seth, after it's over, like I'm so tired because it is <laughs> full on 
brain, big brain engagement. And we've done a lot of deep diving into what it's going to take because I want to know how are we going to get from here to there, especially when it comes to things like transportation, electrification. So I've interviewed some really big brains on that. But at the end of the day, it's going to cost us money. We have to talk about that. We have to invest not just in infrastructure. We have to invest in people, in educating them, in re-educating. And I'm talking about millions of people and in major technology for it to not be too late. Will this help that? Because I'm, I'm, I, I haven't spent enough time on it because you know what's going on in my, my life, especially personally. But yeah. what I have participated in, somebody some bodies have to keep talking about, we have to rethink this. There is always enough money. We have to get industry and big companies and big profit makers involved because it is their future too. And if there's nobody to work for you, it's not going to be great if you have no Amazon drivers, um, unless we have electric vehicles or drones dropping our packages off. So do you think it will help people become more cognizant of the heavy lift that there's no getting there, but that this evolution will take. We need brain power. We need kids to be trained. We need robotics um, labs in every city, in every school. So what's your weigh in on the financial part of this in terms of investment? It's, it's huge. It's mind boggling. Actually, it's pretty cheap. Compared to how much it costs to build 4 billion cars, compared to how much it costs to pave the earth, compared to how much it costs to uh, build all of those buildings out of concrete, it's really cheap, actually. And the thing about money is governments are not households. Money is a story, and it is a story that all of us tell ourselves, and it is amplified by the people who own printing presses. We, if the system is in place, the money's just going to happily, magically get spent. Not a problem. Just like the fact that we spend a thousand times as much on, quote, education as we did a hundred years ago. Because there's a system in place. And the people who are touching that system turn a ratchet and it only goes in one direction, except in Arizona. And <laughs> Is that ever the truth spoken into words? We're moving. I, like, I can't stand one more headline on Lester Holt that says, Arizona makes the news again, lowest in education, blah, blah, blah. And we have like a $800 million surplus. So that's my little rant, except for yeah. Arizona is so fair. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, you and I can move to Portugal together or something. So the point is that it's easy to say, I need the world to stay the way it is. It's easy to believe that climate change equals death. And people don't want to talk about pre-need funerals and they don't want to talk about living wills. Getting people to talk about death is not easy. But climate change is not death. Climate change is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to make things better by making better things. That we will not get there by selling people who have more that they should have less. We will get there by helping people understand that if change is coming, dancing with that change and embracing that change is way more satisfying than fighting that change. That it doesn't matter what you think about the weather and the climate. The climate doesn't care what you think about it. It's going to do what it's doing. So now what are we going to do? 
And what we're going to do is talk about it. That's the key. The first rule is we talk about it. And if you have questions, you should ask them. And if you have answers, you should state them. And we should talk about it. And we shouldn't shame people because they're not qualified. We should encourage people to learn more and get them to be smart about what happens next. And so right this minute, this moment is about how do we educate and educate and educate. And it's pretty simple. 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 people are enough to change the way the government of Arizona works. It's enough to change the way people vote. It's enough to way the change, certainly enough to way to change the way a company operates. We don't need that many people. We just need to be coordinated and we need to be persistent over time. And that's hard because we live in a culture where the attention span is, oh, look, a puppy, not very long. And the alternative is to create a foundational set of understood truths that help us then decide, all right, that's the case. Now, what are we going to do about it? And the add-on to that is for people that think, what the heck can I do about climate change? I'm just one person. There's the answer. If not you, who? That's what I say to people, one step at a time. And my, one of my favorite expressions is when people talk to me about how you know their brain shuts down and it's so depressing, I just say, how do you eat an elephant? It's a best analogy, one <laughs> bite at a time, just one change at a time, and it matters. I mean, I paid $30 for a chicken the other day at the farmer's market, and someone said, are you out of your mind? I said, no, it's all about choices. I don't drink lattes, so I can go buy a $30 chicken. And... It was so different than any chicken that you can buy in any grocery store. Real chicken tastes very different than the ones you buy in the store. So I have final deep thoughts. And I will get a little emotional, and you'll find out why in the content of this. It doesn't shock you. Thank God for Brene Brown, because I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. My final deep thoughts are these. There are influencers, and then there are influencers, and then there's Seth Godin. When I started Mrs. Green's World, my brother asked me if I've ever heard of Seth Godin. And quite honestly, I said, no, who's that? But that was then and this is now. My brother told me, read the book Tribes, and I did. And as a result, I built the Mrs. Green's World platform around the concepts that Seth laid out in that book. I never bought a list to help me grow our message. I never wrote something or did a podcast with anyone to get more likes. I showed up as me every day, and I kept showing up as my authentic, passionate, and at times my very vulnerable self. So, and this is the first time I'm making this news public, I made a decision several months ago to stop doing podcasts. It's time for me to create changes in my life and transition into new ways of being a change agent. When our team made the decision, my very dear friend and executive show producer, Kelly King, asked me if there's anyone I would like to interview before this chapter comes to a close, and I didn't hesitate for a second. Seth Godin was my answer because his blogs, his books, his podcast, his brilliance, integrity, and thought leadership helped me succeed in impacting millions of people all over the world. What a perfect way to pay homage and to honor him. I want to leave you all with this thought. We make choices every single day. Most of those choices impact our planet and in turn, climate change. 
I invite each and every one of you to choose to learn about, learn from, and get involved with the Climate Almanac. It's not too late, but if you choose not to, it could be. Thank you so much for being part of my world. And Seth Godin, thank you for being part of my world. You have those emails when I would say, I needed this today because I was hanging on by a thread or this inspired me to go in a different direction. And I know there are lots of people that say thank you. And you could certainly tell that was from the bottom of my very green heart. You have changed me and you have shined a light and you have taught so many people what is possible. And I hope you will never forget that. This work you are doing, that you are continuing to do in whatever form, it matters so much. And it matters because it can be replicated and embraced and scaled and that you're a hero to a lot of people. And you're a hero to me. So thank you. Thank you. And I'm not going to say any more because I'm already crying. Me too. So thanks for being a part of my world and our paths will cross. I'm sure. Big hugs. Thank you.